But uh, morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you're joining us online, glad you decided to do that. Uh, like Andy said, my name is Nate Gottschall. I'm the student pastor, and I've always loved student ministry ever since I've been a part of it, from uh, being in it as a middle schooler, high schooler, to volunteering, to now leading one. Uh, but being a student pastor uh, wasn't always on my radar. In fact, I remember being a senior in high school, and I was sitting down in my technology class just looking at my hand like this. And there's nothing really crazy going on with my hand, but I was counting all the different careers that I could possibly see myself doing. So I had, you know, maybe an engineer. My dad was a lawyer. I thought, you know, I kind of like law, so maybe that. And then I had three others that I don't remember. But in this time, I was like, man, I got five options. I'm a senior in high school, about to go to college. I want to major in something. I want to have some direction here. And I had no clue which one was, was going to lead me. Like, I, I had no idea. And for me, this was really terrible. This is an awful feeling. I'm a pretty go-with-the-flow person, person, but when it comes to, like, my future, my career, I wanted, like, some direction here, right, something. And I didn't have one. It was, it was pretty awful. I actually took a career test my sophomore year, you know, these tests that tell you, like, hey, these are your skills and abilities. This is how you're best going to contribute to society, like, this is what you'll be really good at. And my number one top choice was ice cream man. No joke there. It was ice cream man. And so I was like, well, I mean, I would be a good ice cream man. I, I think I would be really good at that. But that's not really my top option. I didn't feel like that was a lot of help. So I'm in this, like, future career turmoil not knowing what, what is going to happen. All I want to know is the future, which obviously I can't. And I share with you this story this morning because this was a moment in my life where I was in fully discontent with that situation. And, you know, I went to college undecided as I still didn't know. It, didn't, it was not until my sophomore year that I find out kind of the career path I wanted to go on. But this long section of time, I was very discontent. Anybody else in here ever felt discontent before with your situations, with your life? Yeah. You know, I think we feel this actually quite often, especially in America where, you know, we're always being told you've got to be a certain way or you've got to have certain things. Your family has to look a certain way. The thing is, is God desires not for us to have discontent hearts, but to have peace and to be content, which begs our question that we're going to talk about this morning. When we feel discontent, how do we find contentment? When we feel discontent, how do we find contentment? And with this question being asked, I'm going to ask you guys that as I'm speaking, for you to be reflecting on what is something that consistently causes discontentment in your life? What is something that consistently causes discontentment in your life? Right, so for me, it's like my own performance. Right? I've always struggled with being discontent with my life because I've felt like no matter how hard I try at something or, or anything, it's just never good enough. You know, I can never get to the spot where I'm satisfied with, with how I've performed in a certain area. And so that causes discontentment. And rather than lean harder on God's grace, sometimes I can tend to just hang on to my shortcomings. And so that's something for me. But what is it for you? Right? Are you a little bit like me and you fixate on your performance? Is it a situation with your job right now that's causing discontentment? Are you always worried about 
what other people are thinking about you? Are you discontent with your uh, a family situation, possibly? Maybe your schedule. You're just too busy. You can't do the things you actually want to do because you just have all these to-dos. Right? Is it the uh, polit- political leadership in our country? We all face it in many ways. But I want to ask you guys this morning to try to key in on what, is, what seems to consistently cause discontentment in your life. So if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 86, and we will dig into this just a little bit more, starting with verse 1. David says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Okay, so David here is obviously not in a favorable position. He's describing himself as poor and needy. His life is in danger, right? He says, preserve my life. Okay, you don't say that if everything is daisies and wildflowers. Um, when in verse 2, when he says, preserve my life for I am godly, he's not saying, this isn't like a prideful statement from David, but he's just referring back to the Davidic covenant that God made with him saying, hey, your bloodline is going to be part of, uh, or your, your bloodline is going to lead to the king of kings in an eternal kingdom. And so David is referring back to like, God, when I'm asking you to help me, it's because I'm in your family. You've made this promise to me. Be faithful to me. So it's not a pride deal um, there. And he makes real clear in these first two verses that David's not going to get himself out of this situation. It's not going to be by his own doing. And he's not going to rely on man to get him out of this situation. He's very clear that he needs God's help and no other way will do. In these first seven verses, it's a lot of what we see. David rightly describes his complete reliance on God, something that we should also learn to admit often. So let's continue in verse three through six. David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. He's like, I got no one else to go to, nothing else to go to. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, Listen to my plea for grace. Okay, as David is making his appeal to God for help, you can't help but notice the, the status that he comes with as he, as he comes to God. Right? He comes with a posture of complete humility before the Lord. His prayers are, be gracious to me. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. In verse 5, he uses the word for This is a word that David uses to transition into his reasoning. So God, why why do I think you should help me? What he says is, God, you are good, forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And then he says, listen to my plea for grace. Okay, David's heart before God. One, in his situation, he's reliant on God to get him through. But two, the reason he's relying on God is simply because of God's goodness. Okay, we don't hear David saying something like, you know, God, um, I've, been, I've been doing really well. I've been in the word consistently. I was really patient with my in-laws. So would you answer this prayer? Or, man, I've been struggling, so you're probably not going to answer this. But, and you also don't hear David saying something like, you know, if you would 
get me through this, then I will do X, Y, Z. Nothing is based on David and what he can offer God. He's simply relying on God's goodness. Because David knows that he doesn't have any leverage on God. And you and I also don't have any leverage on God, but we can rely on his goodness as David is doing. And that brings us to verse 7, in which David says, In the day of my trouble, excuse me, in the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Okay, so when you have had a bad day at work, when you and a significant person in your life, you, you guys are not clicking, when your budget is tight, when you're just dead tired, what do you do to cope? David lifts up his request to God. I struggle with this, okay? When I'm super tired, when I feel drained, when I'm worried about something, when I'm discontent, I tend to distract myself with entertainment, whether that's a TV show or social media. Like I want something fun to occupy my mind rather than dealing with, with the discontentment that's going on inside me. Maybe that's you too. Maybe it's not. Maybe you just want to take the edge off a little bit with some alcohol. And you might not be getting drunk, but you're relying on the alcohol to make you feel better. Right? Or maybe, maybe, you just keep yourself real busy. You just keep yourself always doing, 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 doing things. So you don't have to ever sit back and reflect and actually work through some of the hard issues that are going on in your heart and in your life. I think that one's really common. But rather than us trying to find contentment through distraction, uh, through busyness, or through just temporary good feelings, would we be a people that joins David and lifts up our request to the Lord and we rely on him for fulfillment in our life? We will rely on him for an abundant life. And so David's just talked about in these first seven verses that He's relying on God. He's calling out for help. But why Why is God reliable? And that's what he transitions to in verse 8. David says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So what's David doing here? David is reflecting on who God is. He's reflecting, going back in his mind, reminding himself God's unique lordship, the works that God has done, and the fact that every person in the world is someday going to end up bowing down in glory to God. And again, why does he choose to reflect? Because when he reflects on what God has done, it solidifies his faith so that he can act on it. Okay, it solidifies his faith so that he can then act on it. I'll put it like this, right? I'm a uh, pretty big Husker fan. I'm trying not to, you know, get too involved with it. But I'm a pretty big Husker fan, so I follow their recruiting. And so I read the articles, watch the videos. And one thing about Husker football is they know how to exaggerate. Right, like, you get a new recruit, and I mean, 
We're, we're not a good team, but if you're not careful, you think that we got the number one recruiting class in the nation. Like, it doesn't matter what the, everyone else says. We got the best ones. So when somebody tells me that, hey, we got a recruit, and he's really, really fast, like he's going to be a big-time playmaker for us, wide receiver, you just send him on a go route, and it's touchdowns all day. Like, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, he's fast, Sure. All recruits are fast, all right? Like, we know he's fast, but nothing too special. However, if I get shown a video or I see a statistic that his 100-meter time is one second faster, a whole second faster than any other recruit in the nation, okay, now I'm bought in. Now I'm like, oh, this guy is crazy fast. Either that or there's, you know, something wrong with the technology taking his time. But now I'm like, wow, he is going to make big plays. I am excited now. My point is that you and I, we, we know plenty, a lot of us know plenty about God's character, about who he is, especially those of us who've grown up in the church. But when we go back and we read and we think about the, the accounts that are in the Bible of what God has actually done, these, these are the accounts that actually convince us that, man, I can base my life off of these characteristics of God. This is why I love the historical narratives in the Bible, because they show us God, they show us God's power, they show us his characteristics. Like if you're in a situation where you're like, man, I've, I've messed up so bad, and I know God is forgiving, but I don't know if he can forgive this sin. But then you read through, like in 2 Samuel, like we just did, of a time where David went out and he stole Bathsheba, slept with her, and then killed her husband, but then he was repentant and God forgave him. You might know God's forgiving, but when you read that, it solidifies your faith. It solidifies what you know about God. And you, th- you think, wow, I am going to repent. I am going to go back to God because he truly is forgiving. Look at what he's done. So David's reflection on who God is then brings him to a big time request in verse 11. In which David says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Remember that David, David's not like sitting on his porch, you know, with a nice iced coffee, hot coffee, latte, whatever you like. He's not sitting there in it with a great morning and the sun's coming in, it's like 70 degrees. No, David's in a tough spot where he has described himself as being poor and needy, where he is asking God, preserve my life. My life's in danger. And as we're going to see in a little bit, there are men after David's life right now. And yet he, his request is, God, teach me your way. See, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in a tough spot, that's usually not my first thought. When I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling discontent, I'm usually thinking, how do I figure this out? How do I fix this? But David takes a different approach. Rather than thinking so much about what he needs and what he wants, he says, God, teach me your way, O Lord. He says, he's saying, I want your will, not my own. That I may walk in your truth. He wants his decisions, his actions to be based on God's word. Okay, this isn't a passive prayer. 
David knows that if he's asking God to teach him his ways, that it's not just about knowing the word, right? It's about doing. He knows that there's actions to follow. Then he says, unite my heart to fear your name. Give me undivided reverence for you, God. Would we be able to stop ourselves when we are caught up in what we're discontent with and ask God, would you unite my heart to fear you? Would you, would you fix me wholly on, on you and who you are? Right? This is our example for how to pray when we feel discontent. Rather than only pray for our deliverance from the situation or pray for a solution, David prays that God would line up his heart with God's heart. Hey, he doesn't say, I'm going to try harder or I will fight through this. He asks God, to realign his desires to match God's own because he trusts the Lord and he loves the Lord. And that reflection earlier is helpful in him getting there. But how does this look for you and I to join David in this prayer of verse 11? How does this look for us? Again, go back to the question I asked earlier. What consistently causes discontentment in your life? Are you worried about your upcoming future? Do you feel inadequate in areas as a Christian, as a parent, as a student, simply because you don't feel like you're doing a good enough job? Again, I'd ask you to look at your schedule. If you're discontent with your schedule, could you ask God to teach you his ways that you could walk in his truth, that you could change your schedule? Do you feel like maybe you're just going through the motions and you don't have much joy, much purpose, not happy with your job? Again, a relationship with a significant other isn't going, up, going well. When we face these situations, rather than just looking and asking God for a fix, for a solution, just for help in that situation, would we ask God to align our hearts with his, to say, God, this is going on and I want your help? But ultimately, I want your will, not my own. This is how we follow David's example, to be able to ask God, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Would we be a people that praise that prayer consistently? David goes on in verse 12. He says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me, you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. So when he's talking about God has delivered his soul, he's, not, he's talking about there have been situations in David's life where death seemed imminent and God delivered him from that. And some of us may be thinking that, of course David can pray this prayer. Of course, when David's in a tough spot, he can just say, God, I just want your way because he's seen God deliver him countless times. But again, we see David use the word for in verse 13. And again, this is David transitioning to his reasoning of, why do I just want you to teach me your ways? Why do I just want my, my heart to be aligned with you? And that's good enough. Verse 13, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. See, verse 13 is just as true to David then as it is to us now because of Jesus Christ. Okay, all of us, we're destined to, have, to be separated from God, to be sent to hell. 
because we couldn't keep up with God's standards. We can't, we can't obey him perfectly. We're not perfect like he is. But God, in his steadfast love that is towards us, sent his son Jesus to live this perfect life. Right In David's prayer of teach me your ways that I can walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear you, Jesus completed that. He did that. Where we fall short, Jesus lived a perfect life. And then he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty we deserve. Death, separation from God. But he rose again three days later to give us hope, to show us he is more powerful than death. He is a God that we can hope again in. And if you're a believer in Christ, and you have a relationship with him, verse 13 is just as true for you as it is for David back then. Why are we so confident in saying, God, I just want your ways. God, align my heart with your heart because of the gospel, because we see God's steadfast love for us and his resurrection from the dead, a God that we can hope in. This is why we can be content in asking God to align our hearts with his in difficult situations. Now, when I'm talking about being content, I'm talking about not being content with your situation, but being content in your situation because you believe God is with you. I'm not saying you got to be really happy with the difficult things that are in your life, but you can be content knowing that this God is with you through it, and he's not some pushover, right? In verse 10, David talks about he is great and does wondrous things. He alone is God. And then verse 13, again, his steadfast love towards us. He's delivered our souls from eternal death to life, and he is well capable of taking care of us in these things that cause us to be discontent. Would we be people like David when we feel discontent to go to him with this prayer of aligning our hearts with his? But then David continues talking about his situation. We go back to verse 14. He says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So again, asking God for help, but relying solely on God's goodness, not what David can offer. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see me and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So to what end does David seek to be delivered from this situation? It's for the glory of God. So the others might see, man, that God of David's got him through. Let's not mess with that God. Would that maybe be our prayer as well when we ask God to, to help us out in our situations of discontentment that people might see, man, that person continues to have joy. That person continues to be genuine with me even though I know they're going through something crazy. Like that, that God they follow must be doing something. Maybe I'm interested in that as well. But we can see in this passage, yes, David asks God to align his heart with his, but he's not shy about telling God, hey, 
I could really use your help here too, right? Verse 1 through 7 and 14 through 17 are, are David asking for God's help. Okay, so I'm not saying that we shouldn't be ask, bringing our requests before God. We absolutely should. But contentment isn't simply found in requesting God's help. So as we think about, again, our question from this morning of how do we, when we face discontentment, how do we find contentment? We find contentment when we ask God to line up our hearts with his. We find contentment when we ask God to do a work in our hearts to line up our hearts with his. It was my junior year of college, and I was living in Farmhouse Fraternity, um, living with some of my friends. Dominic Richardson was one of them. He goes to church here. Uh, Still a really good friend. But anyway, life was pretty good. I was enjoying it, uh, but there was one thing that wasn't going very well, and something I probably wouldn't, will never forget, is me being in my dorm room, on my knees, alone, pleading with God, as genuinely as I could, God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Can you please stop this from happening? See, so yeah, this is a big buildup. You probably think it's something really crazy, but it's not that crazy. See, I was in a relationship with a girl for quite a while, and I thought at moments she could be the one. And for reasons that I were unknown to me, things just weren't going well. It didn't seem like I was changing. It didn't seem like she was changing. But we were growing apart, and I had no clue why. And so I had been asking God genuinely, would you fill me in a little? Like, what's going on here? Please give me some answers. And man, I was genuine in this. I talked to my friends about this. Again, prayed about it a lot. Didn't really get any answers. And so I was processing through this for like four months until I finally broke up with her, still without having really much of a reason. I just knew it wasn't going well, and it probably wasn't going anywhere. And that was the worst. Man, I caused a lot of pain for me, a lot of pain for her, and didn't have much of a reason. So you could say I was a little more than discontent in that. I was real upset at God because I didn't get any answers, at least not the answers I thought I wanted or the answers that I wanted in my timeline. And so for that four months and six months after, I was just discontent. I was just upset at God. I hardly gotten the word. I didn't think that he was speaking to me all that much when I tried to get into the word. But man, I was, I was praying to him. I was asking him for help. What's my point? My point is that simply bringing our requests before God Simply asking him for the help in our situation is not going to bring, bring contentment to your life. See, David did two things. He brought his request to God, but he also recognized, God, I don't want just what I want, but align my heart with your heart. There was a comfort in God's way that David had that I didn't back in that situation. 
So if we could be a people who don't just bring our requests to God, but we reflect on what God has done, just like David did in 8 through 10, and we ask God, would you align my heart with yours? Right? We find contentment when we ask God to line up our hearts with his. So my challenge for us is that two things. When you find yourself in situations where, where you're feeling discontent, would you pray verse 11, right? the one that says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Would this be something that you choose to pray in those moments? Or go through the whole Psalm 86. Would you be able to stop and pause and say, God, just, not just my way, but yours. And then the other thing is, in your daily devotional time, when, when you're reading the Bible, would you add this prayer in on a daily basis? That God... Teach me your way, that I can walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. I've started doing this, and it's been a game changer for me because it reminds me all the things I'm praying for that, wait, like, it's not about just what Nate wants. That's not what it's about. God, I want your way. I want your will because I can trust you. You died for me. You rose from the dead. It changes how we think. It brings us contentment. So I would ask us to do these things, that God would work in us as a body to have hearts that are lined up with him so that we can go forward having contentment in him in any situation. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, the fact that you give us people like David who write and are honest with their situations. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts today and as we continue to pray this prayer that you would, God, just align our hearts with yours. Teach us to pursue your ways, not our own. Allow us to walk in your truth and unite our hearts, God, to fear you. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.